And we're back again with another episode of Cut Talk Radio. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we appreciate the unlimited support and love that we get from everybody who does support us. And it means a lot to us. And we're just going to always keep bringing you guys these episodes as always, you know. Uh, I know you guys probably get tired of hearing it, but I don't get tired of saying it. So, my bad, guys. But, yeah, thank you. Um, so, we got a returning guest. I think I think this is one of our like first returning guests at, you know in a while. So, I'm actually excited to have her back on and uh, Aaron, can you please say hi to the people? Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me back on, too. Mm, no doubt. Yeah. Well, uh, if you guys remember, Aaron uh, came on the podcast and we spoke about her past in juvenile detention, you know, the way it kind of molded her and then her trip into advocacy and then eventually how uh, it shaped her current career path, which is uh, domestic violence advocacy. So for those who didn't catch the first episode, Aaron, can you please just kind of give them an update uh, if you want, just go briefly. You could go briefly to the beginning and then kind of like into what you're doing now. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of like what we talked about last time, just I started out as a juvenile probation officer and um, then slowly worked my way more into the criminal justice system to where now I'm part of the district attorney's office as a victim advocate. And I handle all of our domestic violence cases. So um, it's become a strong passion of mine to be able to help victims of domestic violence. Mm, right. And, and um, you know, again, we kind of spoke on this, but where does that um, passion come from, do you feel like? Is that something that feeds your spirit? Do you feel your, fear, your spirit is fed when you help people? Definitely. I think especially not only because I had experienced domestic violence and I grew up seeing domestic violence, but it's really empowering when you are able to help uh, a person trapped in that cycle, be able to find the courage to leave and be free and actually find true happiness in their life. And if they have kids involved, you know, getting a better life for their kids as well. So I mean, it's really rewarding, but it also can be really hard and frustrating Mm -hmm. and at times sad. But Mm -hmm. I love my job, though. Right, right. Amazing. And so, you know, um, before we go off the deep end, let's kind of break that down, right? Because, uh, you know, here, just to kind of keep it personal to what we have going on, you know, we represent a community, South Central, where um, domestic violence is very prevalent. And I want to ask you, uh, in situations where there's a heightened cases or, you know, more, it's more common that domestic violence is present. What are some of the factors that you see or the patterns that you see that affect that? Um, well, I mean, there's lots of factors that play into domestic violence, mm-hmm. you know, and no case is the same, but most of it can be caused from, anywhere like substance abuse, alcohol or drug use, to financial strain, to just the power and control that somebody wants to have over the other person. So, you know, there's just a lot of contributing factors that can play into that. Right. And, um, you know, so, you know, like, the community, do you feel like external factors play as much as internal factors? Like like the community, for example, do you think somebody who grows up in an impoverished community might have a higher likelihood of committing something like domestic violence, or do you think that might be something separate? 
Um, <clears throat> once again, I think it kind of, it could be both. Uh, I think sometimes growing up in um, a community where you witness it more um, mm. can lead to you doing it. You know, a lot of times people that become abusers in a domestic violence relationship had grown up either witnessing or experiencing abuse of their own, you know, and then when you add on top of that additional stressors, that a person might have, um, it just, it all adds up and creates that cycle of abuse. So, but I do think, you know, there are maybe more factors in certain areas that can play a part in a domestic violence relationship than say others, but domestic violence does occur all over the board, whether it's from, you know, an impoverished community to even like a wealthy community. Um, it's just sometimes you don't hear about them as much as others. Okay, so that makes perfect sense. But do you feel like do you feel like a person's perception can like perception of themselves can have that effect too? Because you know, like you're saying, um, it seems that because you would see it as common in any situation that it might be more of an internal battle being projected outwards does that make sense yeah I think I mean so like especially say you you see that it's accepted in places you know to where you feel you know it's appropriate to do or if you're a victim you know and say you grew up seeing domestic violence or you grew up you know being belittled and told you're nothing you're going to be more likely unfortunately to be trapped in a domestic violence relationship because you're not going to really feel that you need anything else or that you deserve anything else so I mean depending what you see and how you grow up seeing things can really contribute when you're an adult on if you know you're more likely to be a victim or more likely to be abuser um I mean, it's unfortunate. Right. It's unfortunate, but it, it, it it's something that happens, right? So we have to be yeah. honest with ourselves and acknowledge it in order to, to move forward towards a solution. Oh, absolutely. Right. Which is, I think, uh, like the way you mention it, you know, the way you talk about it is so, like, objective. But, you know, the the human experience is so subjective. You know, it's like... Like, when we get sad, we just feel like that sadness just is everything to us. Like, we just feel like we are that sadness, you know? And it's like, how do you... And I want to know, like, what do you say to somebody who's hopeless like that, who's telling you, you know, Aaron, you know, I just feel this thing in my soul, and I just can't... I It just tells me that this is what I deserve. Like, how do you shake somebody's core and re, and help them to reinvent themselves? What, what are some of the methods you think you would uh, give to somebody who needs to... Or who's asking for that type of help? I think... I mean, so when I have conversations with people that come into my office that are stuck in this cycle of abuse and they just feel helpless and basically that they they don't deserve anything other than that, I just try to empower them and encourage them that you do. You don't deserve to have somebody controlling your life. You don't deserve to be with somebody who's making you feel like, you're worthless because you're not. We all have a purpose. 
And it's not fair for you to give that power to somebody who clearly doesn't have any care or concern for you, you know? And so I just try and you, and it doesn't, it takes more than one conversation. Trust me. I, I wish one conversation would change it all, but it doesn't, you know, you just, but the thing is, is they need that. They need that constant reminder, you know, to have somebody by them reminding them you are worth more than this and you deserve more. And unfortunately, victims don't always have that support system around them. They don't have anybody to encourage them or the people around them don't know they're stuck in that cycle because they don't talk about it. You brought up a very interesting point and something that I think is so like human is like the idea of empowerment, right? Like for some reason, it seems that uh, some perception that we get is that the quality of our life base is based on how much better it can be than the quality of others. You know, like for some reason we do that, but it's like mm-hmm. if we just collectively had a good experience then life would be good. But, you know, it's like some people get this notion that if I can convince Erin that she's not as good, then that makes me better somehow. But it's like, that's, oh, yeah. not, the, that's not the truth. You know, it's like, you're not going to get any benefit from seeing humanity as less. You only get benefit by seeing things as better, you know. But it's an interesting thing because it is an instinct that seems to be so naturally human, you know, to bring somebody down. And again, you say, you know, empowerment, right? You, you, If you, t- if you get, let's say somebody walks into your office one day, right? Let's just say it's a, it's a, and I want to, you know what, let me just sidebar real quick and ask you something. Just, I feel like this might be eye-opening. What percentage is men and women when it comes to domestic violence? Oh, gosh. Um, I can't give you exact percentage off the top of my head. But statistically, yes, women are um, majority of the victims and men are usually the abusers. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are cases that I have seen in my office where it is reversed. You know, the woman is the abuser, the male is the victim. But I think um, sometimes males are less likely, I can't say less likely to come forward because females also, you know, don't come forward right away. But I think it's more of an ashamed reason why a male doesn't come forward. Um, But it really it can happen to, in any relationship no doubt right it does and that's the thing that um you know i'm pretty sure you'll see domestic violence even in the most like you know the most abstract type of relationships you know it's like that idea of control is just something that happens through like you know the fault of our thinking so it's like you know it's kind of um it's sad to see it happen, you know, and then you mentioned that idea of men not wanting to reach out for help. And then, of course, you know, you've you, you got to acknowledge that it's not just a man thing, but it's like, you know, if you're being, again, you got to be objective when you look at this, right? You got to say, okay, well, the truth is that the spirit of the masculine is to be strong and to be the provider. So if somebody identifies as a masculine character in the in their life and in the life of others, then their role is to stay with that same strength and to stay with that same stability, so if you feel like your instability will be the instability of the world around you, then it seems that you should hide that because why would you want to create an unstable world? But it seems that it's actually the opposite. You know, if you reveal your instability, it's like it's more of a coming to peace more than creating chaos, which is it's an interesting thing. I mean, that's just something that I think about. You know, I don't know. What, do you feel like that's true at all? Yeah, I do. And I mean, and unfortunately, you know, <laughs> with domestic violence, 
a lot of times people don't come forward, whether you're a male or a female for, for multiple reasons, you know, but it's just, that's, and that's part of what I really hope eventually to, I mean, I can't change the world, unfortunately, but like, you know, to just help get it to where victims be, are more likely to come forward because they know that they will receive the help Mm -hmm. and that they will be believed and that they deserve better. So. And for the record, I I think you can change the world. I'm just saying, but, uh, (laughs) but you know, it is interesting, right? And and you're right, right? Let me let me make let me make an equation because I don't want women to get the you know in this conversation we have to you know when you're having a psychological conversation you can't be inconsiderate because obviously there's not just one psyche we all there's there's different psyches so you know and again you know that idea of having a role right maybe maybe in the woman's place you know she has maybe a, a woman who identifies with feminine traits you know the femininity of being a mother of being a of the provider the nurturer you know she feels that by admitting to the fact that she is not comfortable in that place she feels like she's again absolving herself of her own femininity which is like oh it's a part of me being a woman to accept this violence you know mm-hmm. it's like, it seems that that would be the conclusion in the mind you know just looking at it from an objective standpoint you know which is um something that i think is again just the mind playing tricks on us and um and you know and that's why i feel like it's important that we have people like you on who have who have experience helping people because um, people need, as you mentioned, empowerment, you know, people need to be empowered and there's no reason for it. We don't need a reason to empower people. uh, We understand the struggle of life. We understand the struggle of anxiety, you know, so it's like we should empower people just so they can continue living and, and to create a power, a powerful, more positive place in this world in general, you know, but um, the mind is a tricky thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, But, all right, so I want to go into now, like, all right, we talked a little bit before the podcast, you know, and you started to tell me about how your your, your ideas now are going more into the idea of um, maybe like the root, right, of domestic violence, of how it can, how it passes on through generations by children um, mm-hmm. witnessing it and then, well, probably being affected by it in some way. So I want to ask you if you could just kind of break down that theory and, and what you come to find through your through your research. Yeah, so, I mean, my goal is to kind of spread awareness and information about all aspects of domestic violence, you know, so it, aside from there being the main victim who is the one receiving the abuse, you know, children in the home, whether they are just witnessing the abuse, or if they are experiencing it, either way, they're part of being abused as well. And so, you know, and I've, I've done some more research and I've seen or read how much it can affect a child at any age growing up in a domestic violence home, um, the effects it can have on that child um, and as well as the effects it'll have as they become into adulthood. Um, and so I really think that that's an important piece of information to share because it really can start, you know, from when you're little and what you witness. And it just it's part in my mind of what creates another version of a cycle of abuse. Um, and I think it's important for people to be aware of that. You know, they might think that even though their children aren't getting hit, thankfully, um, that they're not 
considered abuse, but they really are. And so they need protected just as bad. Okay. So, all right. That's so on that point, right? Um, what do you think? I don't know. Cause I feel like that there's an issue there that we, that we should try to unpack. Right. Like, all right. The child that goes through something like that, right? It's obviously just not their fault. So the fault would have to be go a hundred percent to the parents. But if, if parents who are affecting a child in that way would have to, unless they are just pure evil, be unaware that they are doing that, you know? So, yeah. Uh, Sorry. I was going to say, you know, and, and I really hope it doesn't come across. I'm putting the blame on the parents um, because, well, okay. I guess I kind of am on the abuser. Call it what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, sometimes, and I'm, I'm just going to say a mom, even though it can be a dad, but Sometimes a mom will take the abuse, you know, to try thinking that they're protecting their child, you know, because they might think, well, as long as he can take it out on me, he won't take it out on our child, you know. And so sometimes a parent might think they're actually helping protect the child. You know, they they don't always think about that they're still the child's still getting affected by what they're hearing or witnessing. Um, and that's not their fault necessarily, because I mean, I didn't know some of this until I got in this line of work and did trainings and research that I learned more about how children who witness violence get affected by it. Um, so it's just that's why I feel it's important to have that information out there, though. So people are aware that, you know, even if you think you're protecting your child and you're doing your best to make sure they aren't abused, the fact that they still can see and hear it is still considered a form of abuse. Right. And it seems that that would, the way you put it would seem that it's a, and that's a very logical conclusion because it makes perfect sense when you think about it in order to protect a form of protection is redirection. So by redirecting what's seemingly this energy of negativity and abuse, you seem, you start to look at yourself as somewhat of a hero figure. So you, you start to think, it would seem that, again, again, I'm just a human, so I'm not claiming to be a psychologist genius. I'm just, through the, my own perceptions of humanity, being a human, it would seem that this, that the conclusion reached in that scenario is that you become a hero figure in the life of your child, which is, again, just good intentions, and that's what happens. They say that the that the, the most evil is committed by people who think that they're doing good. And and again, like that that idea, right, of a mother feeling like she's protecting her child and be, and placing herself on the pedestal of being a hero, uh, it seems to be somewhat of a coping mechanism to avoid the reality that, you know, you should probably evolve or move from the situation. And um, I feel like that's rooted in self-worth. So, how, I mean, Aaron, I want to ask you, uh, again, you mentioned things like empowerment. What do you think are some methods that a person can use on in their own life to help empower themselves? Um, gosh, it's so much easier said than done, you know, <laughs> like, but, it, but you got to say it, even, even if, you know, even if it's, yeah. work, it's like, you just got to pl- plant the idea in somebody's head, you know? I mean, it's just, you have to get to a point where you, you just need to believe that you deserve more, mm-hmm. that you deserve to have freedom 
and make your own choices and live your own life, you know, not have to answer to somebody or have to um, check in or ask for permission, you know, especially you're an adult, you know, where once you're, that's one of the best things when you're an adult is you don't have to answer to anybody anymore, as far as, you know, like asking for permission or being told what to wear. And, and that's, and it's really something that. Can I ask you a uh, question? Yeah. Okay. So you, you brought up something in my head right there. You said, you know, again, that conditioning, right? Is there a situation where somebody is more prone to be the victim because they're used to, like you mentioned, they're kind of, they yearn for that order, but they needs to be delivered externally. They have no internal order. Is that something that you've ever seen? Yeah. I've seen um, individuals that they do like the control to a point, you know, they, they sometimes like to not have to make decisions for themselves. Um, but there's a, a line, you know, between someone maybe being a, yeah, like being assertive towards, you know, as towards somebody who say is abusive and controlling like power and control, which is what domestic violence is. Um, but you know, and I also see, um, individuals who they will leave one relationship, abusive relationship, but they'll jump into another abusive relationship because they, they are kind of drawn to the same um, type of person. And so they might break the cycle with one, but they jump in the cycle with another. And I've seen that quite a few times recently, actually. That's interesting. Again, another question. So, you know, this is, I mean, this is a brutal, brutal, brutal thing. So it's like, you got to be brutally honest, right? In order to like combat the brutality, the extremity on one side, you got to just come back all the way on the other side and just call it what it is, right? So what I want to ask now is like, do you see, or is there any objective data that says that, 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 again, like a person can carry what traits that would induce somebody to act that way i'm not like okay and we got to be very careful here right we're not victim blaming at all i'm not going to blame the victim i'm not saying it's the victim's fault that it happens however humans what we do is we we cause outcomes without being conscious of it so in order to control those outcomes you got to be conscious of it so if you're unconsciously giving some energy out into the world you might be unconsciously creating the the same outcome over and over without knowing it so again, you want to help people to identify those those uh, unhealthy habits, if you want to put them that way. But have you seen those? Yeah, I have. You know, they're kind of like what you said, putting the energy out there is kind of what you get back sometimes. It's like creating your own chaos, you know. And I mean, a lot of times people appreciate having some of this pointed out to them, you know, but there are others that they i don't know if they if they actually somehow enjoy or get pleasure from it which is why they kind of stay going from the same type of person to the you know one person to the next but the same type so it's still going back into another abusive relationship mm-hmm. i mean and um and i'm actually myself kind of curious about that cuz you know it's 
looking from the outside, you would, a good portion of people might think, why would you want to, you finally get out of one domestic violence relationship or abusive relationship. Why would you want to jump right back into another one? Especially because you, you know, the signs and, um, and so I'm kind of curious why some people do do that, you know, what their thought process or reasoning is on why, it, you know, they want to put themselves back in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, well, I feel like there's one thing that you always got to consider with the brain, which is like brain damage, right? There's always a possibility that somebody's brain is just not working the way it's supposed to. So the rationality will be off, right? So considering that there's some portion of people that that their brain has just been damaged and you know that's why people are working on medicines to cure the brain and to re- 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 excuse me to recover it back to 100% is because we understand that with damage the brain's abilities are reduced right so not accounting for people who who will fail in rationality due to the the physical health of their brain but just from a philosophical standpoint right you, you brought up something interesting you said why why do people want to keep going back and you know Carl Jung has this this idea of like oh people are so stubborn with the idea of free will that in the face of free will we will we will destroy our own lives just to say that we controlled our lives and i think the truth lies the answer to that question that you're asking right now lies in that logic right there in that logical in that pattern of thinking of the idea that i feel like when you're corrected you feel like you need to rebel against that so in order to feel this the true identity for some people their understanding of self is within being reluctant because they feel like even if it was apparent to them that you should be the best version of yourself they would be the worst version of themselves just to say that they controlled it that they controlled the experience you know and i think that some people truly feel that way and i think that's why people in like will purposely put themselves through through hell because they feel like if they go through a good life then it would be because they didn't it wouldn't be because they want to but because they felt they had to you know but I don't know, that's yeah. theory. But I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think there's some like something there? I do, actually. I think there is some truth to that, honestly. And um and it makes it does make sense to me. And the I mean the only other thing that comes to mind on why also somebody would kind of jump from one relation uh relationship to another, um, is that, you know, kind of the savior complex also on mm. They want to try to help that person or that person doesn't have any support or loving family in their life. And so they want to be that one person who's there for them. Um, I mean, so I think between that and then also in situations like what you said, I I mean, it kind of does define why they might do that, go from one relationship to another. Yeah. And can you can you break down the the you know the savior complex and kind of like explain what that idea means for people who who maybe this is their first time hearing about it? Uh well it's just, you know, like if you if you know somebody and they say they don't have anybody in their life that they feel really cares for them or that they feel they can talk to um, you know, and you feel like you can be that person for them. Or if, say, they're struggling with mental health or addiction and you feel that you could be the one to help them work through it, um, that's kind of what it is when I say the savior complex. It's being like being that one person to help them and change their life for the better. 
Right. So in a way, it's like, yeah. So it's kind of like self-explanatory. Like Savior, they literally feel like they're the Superman to somebody's story, right? Yeah, but unfortunately, I think then sometimes they lose themselves in the process, and that's where they. It's easy to start getting trapped and, you know, being told what to do and get controlled. That is a fascinating thing too, because it seems that that would be also intertwined with the what what results in domestic violence, because it's like. That idea of you're leaving your own life to have some significance in somebody else's life without first acknowledging and appreciating the significance in your own life. So it's like you get so lost in the fact that you got to control this person. It's almost like you become resentful of the fact that you put yourself in this position, but the resentment is projected onto them as if they're doing it, you know? So it's kind of a delusion in a way. Yeah, and then that's how sometimes people will minimize, you know, the abuse. Because they'll say, well, you know, I know that they're struggling with this or they don't have, you know, these type of people in their life to help them. And that's why I'm there. And right. so, yeah, it's hard. It's a hard thing to hear because it's like, you know, in that statement, there's so much love, but it's just rooted into such a like misunderstanding. You know, it's like it's really just misguided energy. And it's like, you know, the person's intentions are good. You know that they really do mean to love. But it's like for some reason, again, that savior complex, it's like. It's almost like it's it's almost like our ego tells us that we're we would be better off trying to help somebody else instead of helping our helping ourselves. But it's like the truth is you can only help other people if you help yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, how can you try to fix broken people if you're broken yourself? It's just it's 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 maybe something that will seemingly work. But in the long run, you're just going to find out through trying to heal somebody else's brokenness. You're going to reveal to yourself your own brokenness, which is like. You know, that's that's something scary for people, especially people who are not used to, you know, facing their own existentialism, which is, you know. Yeah. And I think and that's a good point, because honestly, so when I have cases come in here, you know, a lot of times the abuser or in this case, you know, criminal case defendant, part of what is ordered is for them to do domestic violence counseling. And the victims sometimes will say, well, I think we really need to do couples counseling. And I have to remind them that, you know, they might need to do couples counseling. But first, the abuser, and I don't say abuser when I'm talking to him, but the abuser needs to work on themselves before they start working on being a couple. And sometimes the victims realize they need to do that, too. They need to do counseling and work on themselves before they work on being a couple. Um, and so I think that, you know, that kind of goes along with what you had recently said. Right. No, no, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, that, again, like, it, uh, trying to love somebody, uh, you can only love somebody so much, right, if you don't really have self-love. Because at some point, when you leave yourself, you know, you start to feel empty and you start to feel resent. And all that resent and emptiness is going to be, numbed with something external and once you start to feed the spirit with external things you know it's just like you're just gonna go crazy at that point because now it's like you're relying on some constant experience rather than just being at peace with the experience of life itself you know and then it's like i don't know i feel like i feel like people should be in couples therapy like i feel like couples therapy should just be a thing you know like you should be <laughs> in couples therapy no matter no matter what like you should just you know talk in that way with somebody that you're with no, I do. I mean, because honestly, I think majority of relationships 
have, you know, at least some issue here or there, whether it's just a minimal issue or a serious issue. But, you know, like, I mean, especially it seems like a big one's communication. So it's really not a bad thing, you know, to be able to get some like extra tips or advice on how to be able to communicate better. Or if you're arguing or you have, um, or if you're upset about something, kind of how to word it when you talk to the other person. So it doesn't come off that you're accusing them. You're just trying to explain how you feel. Because if you come off just accusing, they're not going to listen to you because they're going to be ready to just defend themselves. Like most people would. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like we covered a, a good amount of topics here, but uh, I want to ask you the last seven questions, you know, just move towards the, the end of the podcast here, because, you know, even though it was like, damn, it was 30 minutes, but I feel like we covered so many topics that, you know, I feel like it, it was a good, compact conversation. But uh, I want to, you know, before, like last time, if you could just give uh, resources, you know, let them know uh, who they could reach out to if they're going through that situation, you know, uh, if pe- the families of the people who are going through those situations, what are some of the resources available for people? So there's always the local um, resources that you can look for, um, you know, domestic violence shelters or domestic violence advocates. Um, there's advocates with district attorney's offices. Um, and then there's a national domestic violence hotline that a person can call. Um, and I mean, and I would say it's, you know, it is important sometimes to reach out to somebody experienced in working with domestic violence cases, because there's things that they can help you prepare for. You know, if, if you're at the point that you want to leave, they can help you prepare to leave, but it's something that you can't most of the time just do. It's, you know, like they say, leaving's the hardest part. It's the most dangerous time. And even after you leave, it's still t- dangerous, up, you know, for a certain amount of time, depending on the abuser. So, I mean, I would say definitely reach out to your local resources or the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And if you're somebody who knows somebody going through it and you you could also reach out to those resources to see how can you best maybe help them, you know, cause they might not want to go talk to a stranger, like an advocate. They might only trust like somebody close to them that if you're close and you know that they're in a domestic violence relationship, you should consider yourself like that you mean a lot to them. Cause a lot of times people don't tell when they're in that type of a situation. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. Re- reassurance. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, um, I, and also, you, you know, that idea of preparation. How important is that? You know, obviously, uh, in some communities, you know, or in some culture, the culture varies. But you know, like in the community I grew up in, you know, you start a relationship pretty early. You know, twelve, eleven, thirteen. You know, so in in terms of preparing for a relationship, you know, obviously you're not going to be eight years old preparing for a relationship. You know, maybe you'll you'll learn social cues and things like that, but there's no it's not like you're going to be in couples therapy at 8 years old, you know. So it's like yeah. to to somebody who's coming into an adult adulthood, obviously they've built some understanding of relationships through their juvenile years. Uh what advice do you have for them because it seems that at that point you you have to re-understand things. You know, once you become an adult, you kind of have to re-understand things. 
So what would be your advice for somebody who maybe is feeling hopeless in terms of relationships coming into adulthood? Like, what are some ways that they can, you know, kind of like re retune their perspective, if you will? Um, well, one thing I would say is, you know, when you get into a relationship, just uh, trust your gut, you know, which I know is a, it's like kind of a typical thing people say, but honestly, if something doesn't feel right, there's probably a reason. And if, you know, and if say something comes up and you're like, uh, makes you feel uncomfortable, don't try to rationalize or justify why it's acceptable. Cause that's part of what kind of keeps you hanging around. And then you get deeper and deeper into it. Um, you know, don't, don't let somebody put you down or make you question, you know, what your own thoughts and beliefs are. So I would just say, try to stick. If you, if you know who you are, you know, which sometimes that young adults, you don't by that time, you, you know, it still takes years, but just don't let anybody try to form you into what they want you to be is what I would say. Very, uh, Appreciate that advice. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to go into the seven questions. You know, last time I think I asked you, but uh, I honestly don't recall. Maybe if, maybe if you remember, you can answer them the same way. But just in case they change, I'm going to re-ask the questions. And we added a, a silly question at the end just to lighten the mood. So, you know, we're <laughs> going to redo that. So Aaron Haas, what inspires you to do what you do? Um, the It's rewarding. The feeling of being able to be there and help somebody. And especially when I those times when somebody will tell me, like, I don't know what I would do if you weren't here. Um, it just makes you feel good that you're able to try to be sometimes the one positive and all the negatives of somebody's life. That's amazing. I think I think that's a that's a like really important thing that you brought up there, like the idea of how much effect one person has, you know? Yeah, we feel so insignificant, but we we have we underestimate and just get it wrong so many times. Like, ah, uh, like fuck. I wish people would just understand how one nice thing could just change a person's life completely. Like, it could just change their trajectory. Like, if you just say something to a person, like you know, uh, can you sh like? I want to ask you because this is how I feel, and I'm sure you probably thought about this too. Like, are there moments in your life that you remember when people boosted your confidence, and then you know that it carries on to now? Do you have yeah like that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, it's, especially when somebody goes out of their way. That's what I think yeah. we should really focus on. I think people cling on so much to the negative and it's because it's trauma so impactful. But at the same time, it's like like those moments where like I remember teachers telling me like, hey, like there's something about you, you know, and it's like it wasn't even feeding. Maybe at the time I didn't understand it as a kid. You know, I thought they were just like, oh, they're just saying things, you know, but it's like that plants a seed. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even like the littlest thing, you know, like if you're out like at the store or something and you see somebody and like you like the shirt that they're wearing or something like that, just saying something small like that to a person, believe it or not, could probably really change their day. So, I mean, it doesn't even have to be big random acts of kindness. It could even just be something small that can have an effect. Right. Because like, let's play a game real quick, people. Right. Imagine this. Imagine you're insecure in your fashion, right? And then one day somebody just tells you, hey, that outfit is dope. You're like, now, now in your mind, you know, uh, you, you know, people get this idea that you're being cocky. But it's like, look, the confidence that you just can be at peace knowing that, okay, somebody liked something that I did. 
that energy carries on through people. So it's like, you know, that's positive inspiration. And then that's uplifting, you know. So it's like that one, like, oh, hey, nice shirt. You know, it's like that could be the reaffirmation that could make somebody be a clothes designer one day. Like, you never know. It's just like that's that's the butterfly effect is what we need to focus on. The, the potential for positivity, I feel like we should really po- focus on that as human beings. But, yeah. Uh, so thank yep. you for that inspiration. Do you have any advice for other people in your position or just in general? Um, geez. One thing I say is don't be quick to judge because you really don't know what somebody is going through and people aren't going to talk to you if they think that you're just going to look down at them. And then you won't be able, you might miss an opportunity where you really could help somebody. So that's one thing that I would tell people in any line of work, you know, don't, don't be quick to judge somebody. Don't be quick to judge. Um, Can you tell us, I'm pretty sure this one's going to be repeated, but can you tell us about the first time you felt accomplished in your life? Um, oh gosh. (laughs) What if I don't have one? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I think I said this last time, like I was, I was really excited when I finished writing that first book, you know, it just, it it felt like an accomplishment to me because I was able, well, first of all, in school, I could barely write like a page. It was torture. Um, So as an adult, being able to look and hold something that I, put everything into and it's you know a hundred some odd pages just it made me feel that I was made an accomplishment how important do you think that is to to prove yourself wrong in in a positive way like that I'll tell so I'll tell you just from my own it gave me more confidence in in my knowledge about what I do for a job and And I think I needed that because sometimes, you know, even with all the trainings you can do, you can still second guess yourself. But, um, but it's, it helped me realize, you know, I mean, I'm always going to be learning more. There's always going to be things that come up in my job where it's going to teach me something new, but I, it helped me at least feel like, you know, I do know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So it, it helped me. It helped me to write that and prove to myself that, you know, I I do know certain things. So. And that is such a human thing, you know, and people need to hear it. Um, uh, what are some goals of yours right now? You know, you mentioned you got the new book out. And uh, if you want to just shout that out real quick so people know where to get it, we'll link it, of course. But, you know, just so you can, they can hear it. Yeah, so it's, well, it's not quite out yet. It's finished, but it's in like the editing process and all of that time-consuming stuff. But I am excited for whenever it does come out. Um, But I also, you know, I do weekly blogs. And um, I've actually, surprisingly, have been really enjoying doing those. Um, And so that's kind of just something else that I've been working on and then just life. So <laughs> nice. So you guys go check that out. We'll have all the Aaron stuff linked and yeah, you guys support all her goals and anything that she has endeavors. And, you know, uh, just know that you guys are supporting somebody who has a, a real a mission. Um, so how has your life experience affected you today? 
I think my life experience uh, has affected me today. Um, Well, kind of like what I said before, to not be so quick to judge, because I know I've been through some of my own stuff. And since working in this line of work, I hear a lot about other people's experiences. And you really get to know some of these people that come in, because some of them, honestly, I've worked with for like the past four years. Um, And so and it helps you to just kind of it helps you to be more. It's helped me to be more empathetic and compassionate I think hmm. awesome um, so, and can you tell us so the last three questions can you tell us what you love in life I, gosh well I've got kids and I do love them majority of the time <laughs> I'm just kidding I love them all the time um, and I have a dog that I love and I, and I have a husband, I'm sorry, I probably should have said him first, but, um, but yeah, but also, I mean, I love my job and I love writing and love being outdoors. So anything that's not drama, cause I deal with a lot of drama in my line of work that when I'm not at work, I just want to have fun and relax. Uh, you know what, can, can when I just, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who are probably going through that. You know, how do you, you know, you're mentioning right there, you know, you try and when you're not working, be as stress-free as possible then, right? Is, would that be your advice for people who are going through that too? Yeah. I mean, find even that one thing that helps you just escape, you know, whether you're somebody who likes to exercise or you're more of the creative type or you like cooking, um, just find something that helps you escape and and unwind nice definitely um what are you afraid of <laughs> um honestly my biggest thing i'm afraid of is losing somebody that i love and then there's the you know the usual like i don't like snakes and spiders and <laughs> things that go bump in the night so oh that's a good segue all right well our last question that we've added right like i mentioned before I noticed that we were ending on somewhat of a like serious tone, you know, and that's that's fine, but you know, I want to end on a lighthearted tone. So from now on, the last question of the show premiering now is Aaron, in a one on one battle, <laughs> what animal do you think you could take? And in what scenario? Like break down the scenario and how, and what animal is it? Oh my gosh. Okay. So spider because you're gonna be too scared to even do anything. Uh, heck yeah, the spider would win like within the first because I'd run the other way. <laughs> I would say a sloth because a sloth. Oh I know I could God. outrun a sloth. <laughs> I mean, their nails are a little creepy, so I would be a you know want to definitely be like six That's feet away. <laughs> so I feel like I could definitely have the upper hand in a battle one on one with a sloth. So. Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't even doubt that. That was a perfect answer. All right. Well, thank you for that. Aaron. you know, we appreciate your conversation as always. And, you know, we'll have you on as long as you'll be willing to come on. And hopefully everybody uh, got something from this conversation, you know, and um, you guys check out Erin. Make sure you guys go and follow her stuff. As you see, she's on the mission. She's on the journey and she's helping people. So if you know somebody who needs help, you know, take this as a sign, you know, even though you're not spiritual, even though you're not, you know, mumbo jumbo, whatever, you know, when the universe puts something in front of you, don't be so reluctant to, to look away, right? Just look at it. Look, if, if this crossed your path and, you, and somebody comes to mind, pass the message on. You know, connect them with Aaron. You know, I'm sure Aaron, you know, 
when she has time, you know, if she's available, she'll be willing to talk. You know, obviously it's her passion, so, you know, you wouldn't be doing her a disservice. You know, you'll be helping her feel her spirit. So, you guys, you know, reach out definitely. You know, you're never alone, never, ever alone. No matter how alone you feel, just understand that everybody feels that same loneliness. And it's not through avoiding the feeling that you get over it. It's through accepting the feeling and being comfortable in it. And the more that we speak about it and we do it together and we accept the fact that we're all going through this experience together, the more that we'll get closer to treating each other like humans as we should. So love each other and take care of each other because that's the, that's the goal of human beings, I feel like. So, yeah. Erin, any last words? Uh, no, I think you covered it. I think the only thing I say to people is just imagine how much better the world would be if people used their energy to lift each other up than tear each other down. And on that note, folks, everybody out there, be safe, take care, and as always, peace.